Hello, this is Arturo Barros with Audio Karate, and you are listening to The New Scene. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The New Scene. I am your host, Keith, and we are back with a brand new episode. And tonight on the show, we have Emily Whitehurst. You know her from Tsunami Bomb. You know her from Survival Guide. Some of you know her as Agent M, others just as M. But we have spoken to Emily. It's a great conversation, and that's coming up momentarily. Now, folks, don't forget to support the new scene. Here's what I need. I need Apple Podcast Reviews. Now, we had 67 ratings and we're at a 4.9, but someone has taken away a review and we're down to 66. I don't know how that happens. I don't know why someone would do that. I mean, come on. What are you doing? What are we doing? Give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star review on Spotify. You know how to go in there. You know how to do it. The ratings help us. They go a long way. So please help us out. And follow us on social media, New Scene Pod, on Instagram, on Twitter. I've got some new stuff in the works. Uh, I haven't worked on it at all yet, so I'm not going to announce it just yet. But there's a couple new little things coming. And of course, you can always email me at newscenepod at iodinerecords.com. I'd like to hear from you. Email me, share a story, share an anecdote. Sometimes we share that stuff on the air. So come on, let's do this. Support us. And of course, do not forget to purchase the new scene, Life is Music is Life, long sleeve shirt, available now at the Death Wish Inc. store. Go to the deathwishinc.com store, search the new scene, the shirt will pop right up. The shirt is the best way to support the new scene right now. We don't have a Patreon. Any extra content that we have, I just post, you know, bonus episodes and that type of thing. So the funds from the shirt can help support the show. And don't forget to support our sponsor, Iodine Recordings. There's a lot going on, as always. Hey Thanks has an excellent new single out, the part I call myself, so definitely check that out. Light Tower has a single out now, When the Mask Drops. This is a premiere over at Brooklyn Vegan. I've heard the track. I love it. I can't wait to hear the records from both. Support Iodine Recordings. Check them out at Iodine Records. Dot com. You want it. You need it. Let's do it. Come on. What are we waiting for? And in more new music, I have checked in again on Greet Death, and they have three new singles out since the last time I checked. Panic Song, Punishment Existence, Your Love is Alcohol. I don't know if these are singles for an upcoming album or just an EP, but this is easily one of my favorite bands of 2022. And I look forward to a lot more from them. We spoke about them on the show before when they dropped the first single, I Hate Everything. Still really love that song. If you haven't heard this band yet, you got to check it out. This is really, really good stuff. Okay, so check back in with me at segment three. I'll talk about how I'm doing. I've had an interesting week driving all over New Jersey for work and various other things. But right now, we are going to speak to Emily Whitehurst. Enjoy. Yeah. 
folks we're here now with emily whitehurst emily welcome to the show thanks thanks for having me absolutely it's great to have you here you know i've been catching up on all your music i love tsunami bomb i love survival guide we were talking before this and you're on twitch we're definitely going to talk about that but first i've got to ask how are you doing today i'm doing really well today um i i streamed on Twitch a little bit earlier, so my voice is like a little bit tired, but uh, but I'm I'm doing good. Nice. Uh, so you actually perform on Twitch? Yes, I do. So I started my my channel last year to do an album listening party um, because I released an album of cover songs um, in June of last year, and gradually I. I turned my channel into a spot where I could perform. And I have a list of songs that people can peruse and request from. And today, so I've been streaming about once a week, um, but I have been doing a few bonus streams lately because I've been practicing for the shows that I have coming up with Audio Karate. Oh, so you're actually performing with Audio Karate. Yes. Yes, I am. I love that. You know, I have had lovely residents in my head all week because our episode with Audio Karate went up this week. And I have to say, I absolutely love it. So thank you for collaborating with them on that. Oh, good. I'm glad you like it. So how does the uh, how does the voting work on your Twitch channel? Do you do like a poll and somebody gets to use channel points to pick a song or how does it work? Um, there's, a, there's a website called Streamer Song List that I use where, um, it, you know, it, it basically creates a, a whole, I, I add songs to this list and then people can look at it and they can just, they can just add songs to my request queue. Um, I, I'll, I'll limit it usually to, um, well, I kind of haven't gotten the hang of how much can I sing and talk in one sitting. Yeah, it's it's a lot. I feel like um, I don't know if you ever watch um, many music streamers on Twitch, but I feel like most of them have these song lists, and they're just like they have like three hundred or four hundred songs to choose from, and they obviously they know how to read music, and so they'll just you know someone requests a song that they're familiar with and they just pull up the sheet music and play it and perform it. And it's not like that for me because <laughs> I don't know how to read music. And uh, so all of my songs are just um, mostly songs from my own catalog. And now I forgot what the question was. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. We're talking about Twitch and I could do that all day and all night. Yeah. I I would not be able to play anything on demand. I only know how to play my music. Oh, okay. I remember the question now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
so yeah, people can just go there and request songs and I I mean it is mostly my own music. I have I think yeah. maybe like right now I have like 10 covers or so and I'm just playing piano and singing, which is also not normal for me. Um and then I also play bass and sing, which is not common. <laughs> it's like a, a really weird thing, but it's been really fun. How do you like the whole Twitch experience? I found that I was putting too much pressure on myself to always be performing, you know, between the podcast and putting together the podcast and then playing games on Twitch. Even if I was just sitting there doing nothing, I was like, hey, you should be on Twitch right now playing a game. You could be doing something. So I kind of backed off and now I just stream, I don't know, once every week, once it whenever I feel like it, basically. How do you find the whole thing? Is there any pressure on your side? Um, there's not too much right now because I've only been streaming once a week. Um, I guess the main pressure is that you see, like, as you're setting up your channel, there's so many, I've looked at a bunch of, you know, Twitch guides on getting started and everything. And so many things say, make sure to have a schedule, make sure to have a set schedule, uh, yep. be there every, you know, every week, like multiple times a week. And I, I would love to do that, but I don't think my voice can handle it right now. Like I'm trying to, I'm trying to strengthen my voice, but also I, it does make me feel a little like the idea of saying, okay, I'm going to stream Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday forever. That's, that just is, that's kind of a lot of pressure. You're right. Exactly. And that's the thing. You have to be so consistent with Twitch because I, I go to someone's page and if they don't have videos or a set schedule, which mine has neither, I don't follow them. But I will not commit to being on Twitch at a certain time and certain week every week because I've already got too many other commitments. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot going on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to make it a, a more of a... I've I've definitely been committed to it. But yeah, I think if I, if I had more streams going on every week, it would be, it would feel like a lot more pressure. Right. And if I wasn't doing this podcast, I would do that more, but you know, this is what's taking up my time right now. What's your, uh, Twitter, what's your Twitch handle so we can follow you? It's survival guide music. Okay. Did you set up everything yourself? Like I had to figure out, uh, OBS stream labs and notifications, which I don't even know if my notifications work. Honestly, I, I, I'm still kind of figuring out the whole thing. How did you figure it out? Yeah, I set it all up and it was so overwhelming and so yeah, much no. work to do. It was crazy. It took me a really long time to get it, to get it ramped up. When I first did that listening party, I didn't even, I barely had any overlays or anything happening on screen. I, I wasn't, um, I didn't set up anything for um alerts or or anything fun like that so um it I, then i spent it wasn't until i think maybe september i sort of did a little in between before i started doing music streams i started using it sort of for for patreon um because i was doing one of my patreon rewards was to get a custom lyric sheet uh from from any of my you know any any band that I've been in any song that I've written so I decided to stream that to kind of get the hang of Twitch 
spend a lot of hours on Twitch because those took me forever. I had like 40 to do. And, uh, and I kind of got, you know, got, got my feet wet that way. And then got the whole music thing set up. And, but yes, it took, it really was so much work and so overwhelming. It took me a long time and it still has more work to go. Yeah, it's definitely a work in progress for me. I was up at night, in the middle of the night, thinking about it, dreaming about it, obsessing about it. So it's kind of funny that I just barely even do it. (laughs) (laughs) But hey, listen, uh, I I don't want to commit. I don't want to commit. That's the thing. But Emily, let's get to know you a little better. Tell us about where you grew up. I grew up in Central California in a town called Los Banos, which is really right in the middle of nowhere <laughs> in the middle of the state. The next, the next, uh, I guess, well, it's about two hours south of San Francisco. Ah, uh, so it's more Northern California. I guess so. Yeah. But it, I, yeah, it's, it's hot and dusty. And so you, you wouldn't like, there's no redwoods or anything. There's a lot of fields. <laughs> <laughs> so what was it like there? I mean, did you have people to hang out with? Is, was there a local music scene? Set the stage for us. When I started really getting into music and was really inspired by music was when Green Day came out. Uh, My town was so small that there was no, absolutely no music scene at all. Wow. Um, the, the, The music that existed there was like, I don't know, a live country band at the county fair, (laughs) probably. (laughs) So yeah, there certainly was, was no music scene. Um, so all I really had was MTV, even the radio station that I could pick up there, the rock radio station was like a classic rock station. And I would discover, it was really interesting. Occasionally they would play a no effects song or a rancid song on this classic rock station. I I don't know. I don't know how that happened, but um but every so often I would hear something that I was excited about. I spent a lot of time um finding music through the liner notes of other albums that I bought. Yes. So, yeah, after I bought the after I bought Dookie and then Oh, oh, so we we also had this little tiny record store, which I'm so grateful for, because it was a just a one man shop, and uh, he was always in there smoking cigarettes. (laughs) It smelled. It had a smell of of uh, plastic and incense and cigarettes, and uh, I could go in there and have him order anything that I wanted. Oh, nice. Yeah, it was so great. It was a tiny shop. And it's not like I I discovered anything there. But I could get a CD and read the liner notes and go, okay, they thanked Operation Ivy, they covered an Operation Ivy song on this record and thanked them on both records. So I should just go order that. So you were doing some real investigative journalism to find yes. out uh, your bands. Yes, that is what I had to do. <laughs> <laughs> did you have friends or like other people that were into it as well? How did you discover like a local scene or shows or that type of thing? My older brothers and my cousin were in bands 
And I mean, we, we collectively, we kind of started to throw shows wherever we could, like at a, at a local coffee shop or at an art center, but there was not much outside influence as far as somebody in, I think I might've been maybe one of those people who was, you know, pushing my friends to, to listen to this punk music that I loved so much. I mean, everybody knew about Green Day because it was after they got huge. Yeah, I imagine it was even more of a thing where you lived because I loved them and I lived in suburban Pennsylvania. Uh huh. When did you first see bands you loved live? Did, was there a specific experience where you're like, wow, look at this. This is something I need to be doing. Uh, so the way that it happened for me was that I can't, I can't remember exactly what came first, but I was really obsessed with Green Day. And my brothers, uh, as I mentioned already, my brothers were, they played in a rock band. And at a certain point, I was just like, I could do this. They're doing this. I could totally do this. And I want to be part of this thing. Um, Even though we didn't really have a scene, I just felt like I loved the music so much that it was a part of my life. And I just really wanted to perform that type of music as well. So that's, that's about it. I, I don't remember. I don't remember when we had to go. I mean, we certainly had to go out of town for any sort of good show <laughs> that happened. Uh, there was the, the next biggest town was Merced, California. And we would go to just this really gross coffee shop (laughs) 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 that had uh, local and sometimes touring bands. And then I was fortunate enough to get to go see Green Day play in 95. And that was the first like real show that I was blown away by. But of course, I was already obsessed with them. So I was going to be blown away no matter what. (laughs) Was this post Dookie? Yes. How was that show? Was was it like at a huge venue? It wasn't an arena. It was an auditorium. It was the Henry J. Kaiser Auditorium. So it's hard for me to know how, what the capacity is like, but it was kind of like, I would say like a, a decent sized um, theater type place. It had seats, um, but a big floor as well. That must have been some show because because I was so young when I really got into that kind of music, 11, 12. So the idea of actually going to see any of the bands and paying that price for that ticket or my parents actually taking me, it was like an impossibility. Yeah, it was it was pretty insane for me, too. I was yeah. part of the uh, their their fan club, which is the um, the idiots club <laughs> that was like. That was like actually, you know, mail, like mail came in the mailbox for me. And uh, I got a thing from them in the mail that said, we're playing a show in your area. And you, if you want, you can buy tickets for $10. Wow. Yeah. I don't, I I think it was, I mean, I'm sure it was probably, I had to call um, Ticketmaster and give a code or something like that. And uh, I was 15 and I still think about it like I'm so surprised that my parents and my best friend's parents, they let us go to this show. And our brothers, who were also friends, drove, well, not together, but <laughs> one, my, my friend's brother drove us and they, they were 16 
and we drove to Oakland, which was like about two hours away. And then we drove back and it was pretty awesome. And I was so excited about it that I made us all go super early, like as if we weren't going to, like we, we, the, I was determined for us to get to be in the front row. So, you know, this is the first real show that I've ever been to. And I don't even know how I convinced them, but we, we got there at like noon (laughs) (laughs) and they were, our brothers were so annoyed with me when we got there and no one was there. Like the band was even, I don't think the band was even there. (laughs) (laughs) And we sat there for hours and hours. And then when the doors opened, we ran to the front and stayed there all night. And it was, it was really awesome. Definitely one of the highlights of uh, live shows that I've been to. Yeah, that that dedication is amazing. Thinking about doing that now at 40 years old is just almost too much. I can barely stand for one band. And that's if I get there when they start playing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I certainly wouldn't do it again at this stage in life. <laughs> <laughs> so talk about you performing music. Was Tsunami Bomb like the first consistent project you were a part of? Uh, When I was in high school, I was in a band called Generic Asphalt. That was my my first and horribly named pop punk band that I was in. And then after that, when I went to college, I was in a band called Plinky before Tsunami Bomb. So those are both bands that... um, you know, I wrote songs for, we made demo tapes for, and played around at various venues. Uh, Tsunami Bomb was was the first touring band that I was ever in. Gotcha. So you had experience going into Tsunami Bomb. Yeah. I mean, somewhat. <laughs> <laughs> so did you sing in the other bands too? Yes. Yes. I sang and, and, um, and played bass in both of those bands. Oh, nice. Yeah. So how was it singing? Did you just get up and do it? I'm I'm just thinking like even if I had an opportunity to do it when I was young, I would just be too afraid. I I don't really know. I mean, I I can remember back to my first show and I was very nervous. Yeah. But uh I was just so into pop punk music that I just I mean, I think that's what powered me. It was just um it didn't i the the nervousness did not stop me and the first time i actually sang in front of a crowd was during my brothers one of my brothers shows they played this um mothers day fair in the park <laughs> <laughs> and uh i was their younger sister so i was you know at their band practices annoying them and i always wanted them to play a song that i could sing just for fun yeah and so I was at their show watching them play at this Mother's Day fair. And they asked me, no, my brother said, oh, our sister's going to come up and sing an Offspring song for you. And I had no idea that he was going to. It, it's kind. It's actually kind of his fault, I feel like. is He just <laughs> called me out. I had no clue that was going to happen and uh, kind of forced me to just get up and sing. And uh, it went from there. Once they their their band kind of disbanded because my older brother left for college, and so I I started a band with a couple of the remaining guys. 
How did the offspring performance go? <laughs> I mean, it was fine, I guess. <laughs> did anyone say like, hey, you did really great, and then that propelled you forward? Uh, not that I recall. <laughs> <laughs> I think I just, I probably, I probably enjoyed it. I don't remember being super scared. I remember being more kind of irritated that my brother did that to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, look at where it's taken you. Yes, exactly. Here I am. <laughs> <laughs> so talk about joining Tsunami Bomb. How did you get in touch with them? How did you link up with them? So I was in the band Plinky, as I mentioned, and we were two different bands in the same music scene and we played shows together. They had a different singer when they started for the first, um, I don't know how long, maybe eight months or something. They had a different singer and she moved away. And so they asked me to join the band. And for a little bit, I did both bands, um, but Plinky was, was kind of, uh, on its way out anyway, due to our guitar player always being really busy at work at doing being a waiter. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I just kind of uh, joined Tsunami Bomb that way. So was he more passionate about the waiting than the <laughs> playing in a band? Apparently, yes, he was. Usually it's the other way around. It's like, hey, I work tables to be in the band. Yeah, it was. It was pretty annoying. We We were like, <laughs> dude, just why? Why do you have to always be working? I hope he like owns the restaurant now. I, I don't know where he is now. <laughs> He's <laughs> dropped off of, of uh, my radar. How was the assimilation into the band? Did everything go smoothly? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it went well. I mean, at that, at that point, we were, Tsunami Bomb was definitely uh, still a local band, like just playing, um, playing venues around and part of the local scene. And so there was kind of just like this overlap, you know, I knew all the venues, I knew a lot of their songs because we had played shows together already. And, and yeah, it was, it was a smooth, it was, it seemed like a smooth transition to me. And we, we added some songs. We actually played a couple of Plinky songs because when I joined the band, I think they only had like five or six, maybe six songs. So we adopted a couple of Plinky songs to make the set longer. When you joined Tsunami Bomb, they dubbed you Agent M. Do you still get that nickname nowadays? I do. I definitely <laughs> do. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I have people that want um, me to sign their, you know, their Tsunami Bomb records and stuff or posters or whatever. And I'll, I'll totally sign it that way for them. How do you feel about it? Do you still like it? Yeah, I think it was really fun having that having that stage name and i really got used to everyone calling me m so yeah. it has kind of left me in a weird place with my own name it's really it's strange did you ever parlay it into a thing where like your real name was a big secret and you would only let people know your real name after a certain amount of time or anything like that yeah i didn't reveal my real name well, I, I certainly didn't reveal it publicly at all until the band broke up. So ah. I, it was kind of fun because a lot of times people at shows would be guessing. They would, you know, <laughs> they would say, uh, you know, they'd be like, let me guess, it is Michelle. <laughs> and so many people tried to guess my name and I just never told them. So that was that was part of the fun. Yeah, I do the same thing. I I have never revealed my full name because I work a corporate job and 
I don't want them to know some of the stuff I say on here. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The anonymity is kind of (laughs) nice. Well, I will be doing a name reveal at the end. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) So you're in Tsunami Bomb. We're playing, right? We're gigging. Talk about how things started to pick up and how you got the attention of Kung Fu Records. So playing up in the Bay Area, I don't know how it happened, but I think that the first thing to really kick us off was that Hunter from AFI was coming to our shows. Oh, nice. And was a friend of ours. Um, I, I think that he just went to a lot of shows in the area and he liked our band and became our friend. And then he released our first, well, no, we had one seven inch that we released on our own. And then he released our second one. Oh yeah. The first seven inch was a split with Plinky. So (laughs) it was like that short time period where I was in both bands. So then Hunter released our second seven inch on his label, uh, which got, you know, more people in the Bay area interested And then we, I believe at that point, then we got our booking agent who also booked the Ataris and a a few other bands in our area. Not that the Ataris were in our area, but uh, he, he was out of Sacramento. So he booked us and some other Bay Area Sacramento type bands. And that led us to our EP, our first EP being released on Tomato Head Records, which is owned by Chuck from Skank and Pickle. And then I don't know if you're familiar with, I don't know if you had a ska phase. <laughs> no, I, I, know, I can see the CD cover. It's like a pickle actually skanking, yes. right? <laughs> yeah, yes. I know that. <laughs> yeah, so he was based out of the sort of the Sacramento area too. And so at that point, we had a CD, two seven inches, a a label and a booking agent. And then um, we were able to get through all of that. We got uh, a management team, a small punk rock management team, but they were based in LA. And they were the ones that set us up with Kung Fu Records. And that that was about it. So, I mean, as you're doing this thing, what is your life like? Are you thinking... Hey, I'm going to be a touring musician for the rest of my life. This is what I want to do. Did you have other things in mind? Where were you at at the time? I, when things really started picking up for us, I was still in college, but I knew that touring, unlike the plinky guitarist who wanted to wait tables (laughs) instead of playing music, (laughs) I knew that it would be the right choice to go tour and do as much music stuff as I could. Uh, But I never had any sort of expectation of where it was going. And I kind of never have with my own music, which I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. I've never had much direction. I kind of just go where it takes me. Um, So that's, that's been my attitude pretty much the whole time. I think that's a really healthy approach. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. I hope you're right. You like you just go with it and, and see where it takes you. Because if you're like, I have to do this, I have to make this a thing. Whenever I've gotten into that space, I've ended up disappointed more often than not. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's definitely the downside to having high expectations. So 
And actually, I feel like that is kind of one thing that I learned from that whole uh, era of my life because there are so many expectations getting pushed higher than they should with the amount of things that were supposed to happen but didn't. Or like you learned, at least I learned pretty quickly that, you know, you might hear, oh, you're possibly, you know, uh, what Blink 182's agent wants to book you for a tour. And right. like, oh, that's so awesome. That could be so huge for us, you know? And everyone's hopes get really high and then nothing happens, you know? <laughs> Just like over and over. That was, I think, I would assume that that's what it's like for a lot of bands that are coming up. It's like there's so many like possibilities and possible opportunities that come your way and only some of them come through. So you have to get used to being like, okay, well, I'll, believe it when I see it <laughs> and just whatever comes through, you know, is great. At this point, I don't believe anything until I'm actually doing it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> like when I'm on stage actually opening for Blink-182 and I said <laughs> hi to them before the show, then yeah, I'll exactly. believe it. And my, I, I have a big superstition. I think this is pretty common. I don't announce anything until it actually happens. Like a while ago, I was going to get this really great apartment. And I had already made the Instagram post and I was like, yeah, it's done and everything's good. And then I went to the signing and asked too many questions and they, they uh, kicked me out. Oh, so, no. Yeah. So I, I learned from that, never announce anything until it's like actually done. Yeah, exactly. It's so hard sometimes, but. I know. It's just a good, a good way to live. So we are signed with Kung Fu Records. We are recording the debut record the ultimate escape right mm -hmm. talk about that a little bit uh we went and recorded it in los angeles and we stayed with a couple of different people because it took us i want to say a total of three weeks i'm pretty sure we did a week of pre-production with steve kravak at kung fu records like at their actual offices and then we did two weeks in the studio and um, it was, it was grueling. <laughs> it was unlike anything I had done before because uh, we had never worked with a producer like that. We never worked with a producer who was like a whip cracking producer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, it was, um, it was pretty stressful. Talk about that a little bit. What did you have to deal with? Did you have to do vocal take after vocal take? Did you have to completely change things up because of something the producers suggested? There, uh, a little bit of both. We did pre-production, when we did pre-production the week before, we went over the songs with him and he kind of uh, gave suggestions and fine-tuned some stuff uh, and we made changes. There were a couple of things that he suggested that I had to stand my ground on, or at least that's how I felt, um, which I wasn't used to that either. You know, I was not used to someone coming and saying that word is weird. <laughs> I don't <laughs> think you should use that particular word. And it, it always sticks in my mind because it was um, a word that had, he felt like had too many syllables. And uh, I just was like, the, uh, it was um, the word responsibility. And it was this, the dramatic bridge to a song where I'm saying, um, mean what you say, 
because no one will take the blame, mean those words, the responsibility's yours. And uh, he was like, that's too many syllables. Responsibility, that's too big of a word. <laughs> Let's see, responsibility. Oh, that's six syllables. Yeah, I mean, it is, it is a, it's a hefty word, but like, I was just like, what? How, what? I, <laughs> I'm not, what do you, that's just, I kept it. I put my foot down on that one. <laughs> I'm keeping this. I did make changes that he, uh, based on his suggestions on uh, various things, but a lot of those things were things that I was like, yeah, you're right. That line's not very good. You know, like stuff that I was (laughs) like, okay, yeah, that could be better. But this particular thing, I was like, no way I am not, I'm not changing that. I'm keeping it. So that, that was kind of mild. The pre-production was like a mild exercise of trying to navigate this whole producer thing and then getting in the studio uh it was just really um we were pressed for time like really really pressed for time and so we're working late hours recording as much as we can every night and i there was one time like he was very particular about certain things like certain consonant sounds needing to stand out uh, in a certain way, like any line that, um, that started with a vowel. Uh, I, uh, he wanted me to, to make like an H sound in front of it. <laughs> wow. Like, it got down to that level of yeah, specificity. I, huh? I just realized I'm, I'm, we're like really getting into the weeds here with this, like, <laughs> production and recording. (laughs) But uh, yeah, it was, it was a lot. It was, I felt like I was just surprised that this was what it was like to record. And there was also a time where I wasn't pronouncing something. He was just very hardcore about wanting things a specific way. And there was a time, there was another line that I was trying to sing that I just could not get up to his standard. And it was a pronunciation thing. It was like a really fast line that I was not like the consonants that were mashing together weren't coming out clear enough for him. And I don't even know how many times I tried to do this one, like five second piece of a song to, I just like ended up having a breakdown. Like after, I don't know how, maybe like 30, I don't know how many times I was just like, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> it was like, it should have been on reality TV probably. <laughs> <laughs> it's the most stressful thing. I've recorded vocals once for a band and I had to do it all in a day. And it was the most stressful, one of the most stressful things I've ever done. Yeah, it's, I'm now I'm used to it. But yeah. it was, it's so, you're so vulnerable and, you know, you're putting your own words and sound and your whole body into this thing. And then to have somebody, you know, like criticizing you at the same time, it just, it makes it really hard, extra hard. I mean, I can imagine I've never worked with a producer. The only thing I, when the first EP I ever recorded, I remember the engineer was like, what do you play during that part? And then I played it and he was just kind of like, and (laughs) even that I remember. Yeah. (laughs) 
So yeah, I, I can't imagine someone being like, make an H sound on the A consonant when you come in on the syllable. I'd be like, what? <laughs> I don't even know what we're talking about. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad that I had at least recorded in a studio a good number of times, you know, a handful of times before recording that record. Otherwise, I might it might have broken me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I did break at that one point, but I might have been I, I was pretty traumatized from it. But it didn't, you know, it didn't stop me from recording some more, thankfully. So tell us about some of those days. I mean, the records out on Kung Fu, we're playing Warp Tour. The band was touring the world. Talk about that a little bit. It was so much fun. I always wanted to travel and see whatever I could in the country and in the world. So uh, I feel so fortunate that I got to tour and go to all these places. I've been to now with with all the touring I've done in various bands, I have been to 49 out of 50 states. So oh, I, nice. I really need to get up to Alaska <laughs> to uh to cross that off my list. Uh but yeah, we we toured we toured at one point I think at the at the busiest point we were touring like I want to say it was like 250 days out of the year. We were just touring nonstop and it was awesome. It was so much fun. I loved it. So that has to take a toll though, right? I mean, I'm thinking about being on the road 250 days a year and I'm going nuts. Yeah, it was it was definitely exhausting. We would tour uh for usually each tour would be between two, I would say between two and five weeks long. Sometimes they would mash together, but usually we would have a week or two weeks off in between. And so it just got to the point where, at least for me, I was more used to being on the road. I didn't have an apartment or anything because there was no point. I just left all my stuff at my mom's house and that was like my home base. And yeah, I was just super used to it. The van was like my actual home. (laughs) And it it actually, I kind of think it it ruined me <laughs> touring because I I ended up loving it so much that now I'm just like I just want a road trip. Like I want to go, I want to go see more stuff. And I don't know. It was just it was a really great, uh, really great time for me. Although you're right, it was exhausting, and especially I I had to be careful because being a singer and being on the road all the time, I had to make sure not to get sick. Because the only times that I ever lost my voice was when I sang while I was sick. Did you have to take any special precautions, like be away from everybody and not party and all that stuff? Well, thankfully, I never was into partying anyway. Um, yeah. I loved hanging out with people, but I was not a drinker. Like During that whole really busy time, and even now, um, I do drink now, but at the time I, I wasn't drinking at all. And, uh, I think I probably would have, you know, had a, a, a weaker immune system if I was drinking every night, like the guys. <laughs> the band ends up ending around 2005 initially. Yes. Yes. So talk about that time. What happened? Well, I mean, it sounds like things are going well. We're on the road all the time. You're doing what you want to do. 
Yeah. Well, we had, so it was kind of a amalgamation of different aspects of the music and the music industry that all were getting kind of blah at the same time. The timing on everything was like we we had some band member changes uh, that kind of weakened the structure, I guess, of the band a little bit. We had to write another record. Um, then we had a band member who was saying he wanted to quit. So like the the actual structure of the members was was starting to unravel, and we were having some issues with our management. And we were having issues with our label, with Kung Fu, uh, because of the band member changes that we had. And then we also had changed booking agents uh, not long before we stopped playing. And we weren't really happy with that change either. So it was kind of like we needed, if we were to keep going, there was nothing really strong for us to lean on. You know, we didn't have a lot of the, our foundation was all out of whack. What had changed industry wise? I'm curious about that because, you know, obviously the, the music industry itself has changed so much over the years, but from the late nineties to say around the time the band ended, what kinds of things changed? Yeah, it was definitely uh, shifting <laughs> quite a lot. The one thing that stands out in my mind is when phones. No, no, it wasn't phones. It was when digital cameras, when people were starting to have little filming cameras and YouTube was a thing and people were starting to film shows and put them online, you know, like easily and quickly. I remember one of our managers like really wanted to, I don't know if she wanted to ban phones, but she wanted to get I can't remember if it was, it was probably was cameras, like little digital cameras, you know, that you could film on. She was like really uh, not into the idea of people filming us and posting it for them, you know, for their own, for the world to see, I guess, <laughs> without, you know, it being an official DVD or something that we sanctioned, you know? And uh, I remember just being like, you can't, like, how are you gonna, there's no stopping this, you know, like this is, this is now. But it's it's interesting because you really can't find that many tsunami bomb bootleg videos online. But that's that's kind of the main thing that comes to mind for me. Towards the end of the band, I wasn't so much thinking about, you know, record sales or the way that digital was affecting sales. But I mean, I it was it was present. It was definitely a thing, but it wasn't, it wasn't something that I really thought about that much. I think record companies were desperate to hold on to the old times of just being able to milk everyone dry and keep bands out on the road. You know, it's like there was Napster and downloading albums and physical media disappearing. And this thing with trying to ban cameras just sounds utterly ridiculous to me. It's <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, I agree. I think they, I think they were freaking out. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so how does the band end? Where are you? What's the conversation? When when did it end initially? Uh, it it ended in two thousand five, like you said. We and it was it was definitely mostly my doing. Um, I think because I was the singer, I was able to kind of be like. I mean, th they could have continued without me, but 
uh, our bass player, Matt and I both were kind of like, yeah, this is not, nothing's really going. It, it, it was definitely a weird place to be in because it outwardly we were kind of on the precipice of bigger and better things, but it just, with all of that industry stuff and within the band and also being, it was a, the point in time where we were supposed to be writing our next record, our third and final record for Kung Fu. And it just was feeling hollow with all of those, all of those business things stacking up against us. So we just had a meeting and we broke up and uh, we, Matt and I continued on in the action design. So we, we started, we started another thing after Tsunami Bomb was over. How did you feel after it was over? I mean, you had been in this band a long time. Were you, were you really affected by it or were you just on to the next thing? I, I was pretty on to the next thing. I was kind of, I, you know, maybe it was because of all that touring. Maybe I was just kind of burnt on this process of tour, write a record, release a record, tour behind, you know, the same record. Um, some of the songs were feeling really old. I think it was kind of just a combination of all these things. And then, but especially it it's one thing that is kind of depressing about it is that I, I really do feel like at least for me, my experience at that time was that we just did not have any one solid thing in our existence in our in our team and the people that were surrounding us it was just if we would have had you know a really strong management situation or a really supportive label at the time or if we knew what we wanted to do with our next record you know like what direction uh if we were feeling excited about writing you know if there was something strong about it i think we probably would have kept going but it was just like the the feeling was that every single thing was just uncertain. Yeah, I get it. I've been in that situation where I'm just trying to hold a band together and people are coming and going. And I'm like, why am I even doing this? Like whatever feeling I had is gone. If you pile on the faces and management changing and all the previous support you had gone, it's like you'd, you'd really have to have a lot of willpower to keep it going or a lot of drive. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just didn't, I just didn't have it anymore at that point. I, I think back to that time and mostly with positivity and just like all the amazing things that I got to do and people I got to meet and shows I got to play and I don't regret any of it and I I really treasure it but thinking about the end of the band is just kind of like it just was wearing on me for sure and the band Tsunami Bomb has since reunited without you now you did not take part because you wanted to focus on your current band survival guide. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's a big part of it. I also feel like the aforementioned lineup changes. We had so many, even from the very beginning of the band that it's kind of hard to pinpoint what's the core of the band. And I feel like this, the core of the reunited version is not the core that I would have chosen, <laughs> basically. <laughs> would you have taken part if it could have been the core you wanted? Um, 
Well, see, I don't think so. I I think we reunited for one show in 2009 to the benefit support, show, right? Yeah, yeah, we did a benefit show for a fellow musician friend who had a brain tumor and we raised money for her. So, I could see doing it if it was something like that. Yeah. Um if it was maybe like a one-off show here or there, but to do it and be like this, we're doing this again. We're, uh, you know, we're rebanding and, uh, we're going to be a thing. Like, I don't, I don't think I'd want to do that either. Like, even if it was all of my favorite musicians that I played with, I think in my heart, I don't think I could commit to being that again, because I've been doing music this whole time. So I, I could see doing it just just as one-offs, just for fun or just to to help someone out and raise money for someone else, but to, to basically to become that again. Like I don't I don't think I could do it. I could do it like a costume. I could do it just, you know, put it on temporarily, have some fun and then go back to being myself now. <laughs> it makes sense. We don't want to commit to being on Twitch five nights a week. And we don't want to commit to this whole band. If we could just do it once in a while, (laughs) that would be the ideal situation. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's weird to even think about being that again, because it really, it was so, uh, it was such a huge part of my life and then it wasn't, you know, and I've been doing other music since then. So just to come back to it and be like, all right, we're doing these, this song that I wrote when I was. 17, you know, (laughs) just, I just, I don't think it would, I don't think it would sit right with me. Yeah. How do you feel about them still playing? Are you okay with it? Is it weird to you? Uh, both. I mean, I, (laughs) I, I'm, I'm okay with it because it's like, whatever, like, it's not, it's not like Tsunami Bomb was only mine to have. And I'm gonna, you know, tell people what they can and can't do with it. Um, but it is it is definitely weird. <laughs> it's weird because the same reasons, you know, like I like these are songs that I wrote when I was some of them, some of the songs are so old. And it's just weird to think of um, someone else singing them and not knowing what they're about. You know, <laughs> <laughs> do you ever check out videos of the new lineup and critique it or anything? I yeah, I have. <laughs> I have. <laughs> I I try not to cuz it just it definitely brings up a lot of feelings for me, you know, like just seeing a present day version of the band that's just not it's it's like it's like an uncanny valley or whatever that <laughs> that do you know that what that thing is that I'm talking about? The the thing where it's like a an android that's like almost human but not. <laughs> so it just is like there's just something weird about it. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you're honest because I would too. I would want to see what was going on. Like I've been in bands where I left and someone else is playing songs I wrote or like like we were writing the song and, you know, this new person recorded it and I'm like, I did that better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. It's hard not to, uh, after being in that band for such a big portion of its career, you know? Yeah. But I, but I do try not to, because like it. Oftentimes, at first, I'm like, "Oh, this is like entertaining and interesting, and sometimes funny or whatever." But then I just start getting bummed out. <laughs> yeah, 
Is is there any dissension online, like uh, Agent M versus New Singer, and what people prefer? Have you have you seen any of that? Uh, yeah, I have seen people commenting um, on it. Some people, yeah, I've seen I've seen people uh, arguing for for both sides. But of course, I don't. I'm not going to get involved on that. <laughs> no, no. I just let, let them happen. fight it out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It doesn't matter to me. Well, you have a new band now, Survival Guide. It's been around for a while. I love this music. I was Thank listening you. to the. Uh, I was listening to Way to Go today. Excellent record. I love what you're doing. And you also have a Request Hotline Volume One, which came out in 2020. Now this was a a collection of cover songs that people requested via your Patreon. Yes. 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 So, folks, if you haven't heard Survival Guide. I really recommend you do so. That's number one. And number two, I really like what you're doing. I like the sound. I really liked the Fell on Black Days cover on Request Hotline. Thank you so much. That's a good one. That's a great song. And I like that it wasn't just a band per se. You know what I mean? Like it's not just guitars and drums and there there's keys and synth. It's in orchestra. It's like it's like all that stuff. I Thank really you dig so it. much. I'm so glad you like it. Absolutely. So tell us when it started, how it started, lay it out for us. So Survival Guide started after the action design was over, and it started as a two-piece with me and Jason, who was um, the guitar player for the action design. He and I did this as a two-piece. I was playing keyboards and singing, and he was playing guitar, and we just wrote a bunch of drum beats and all the, all the extra stuff together. Eventually he started a family and wasn't able to commit the time to music anymore. So I reluctantly (laughs) kept going with it on my (laughs) own and I still um, I, I'm feeling much, much better. I'm feeling better and better about it all the time, but I still kind of have a hard time considering myself a, a solo artist. Uh, I'm currently working on writing the next full length and uh, it's, it's like one, it's been one big mind game for me to be, to be doing all this stuff solo. And that's where we are now. <laughs> Talk about that a little bit. How do you arrange the songs? What are you playing? I'm very interested in the process. So I, all throughout my, my songwriting career, I prefer to shape the vocal melodies around the music. So I might have had, you know, some say in what happens with the music um, like the instrumentation, but mainly I would have a piece of music to write to um, before I started. You know, I, I don't ever, at least I have generally not been the kind of writer to sit down with an instrument and sing and write and play the instrument all at the same time, which I think a lot of, a lot of, that's like singer songwriter style, you know? So I have been trying to switch it up uh, with writing this record as far as sometimes I will start a new song with a drum beat and just build 
off of that. Sometimes I'll start with an interesting synth sound. Um, and I have been trying as well, starting with a vocal melody or a vocal idea. So I'm kind of just trying to come at it from, from all sides and just see what happens with it. Um, I'm actually releasing my first song that I've written completely by myself on uh, April 1st. Oh, excellent. So folks, by the time this airs, it will be up. So you have to go check it out. Oh, perfect. What software do you use? I use Ableton Live. Ah, see that? I'm a- I knew it. I need to get into that. I <laughs> want to get into home recording so bad, but I just I just never do it. Oh, yeah. Do you have have you you haven't done it at all? Never. Not like not even anything. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, you should try it. It's I mean, it's I have been like since because our first survival guide record that you listened to today, way to go. Jason did most of the recording on that. And so now that is my job. <laughs> too. Ah. So I've had to learn, I've had to teach myself a lot being solo and it's been a challenge. It's definitely been fun and I'm getting better at it, but releasing the request hotline volume one was also kind of a big milestone for me because the first milestone, I guess, was just recording those songs in the first place and giving them to my patrons, you know, like feeling the feeling confident enough that I could record something and mix it. And it sounds okay. It sounds good enough to, uh, to, to share with people. And then I went back and learned more about mixing and remixed most of the stuff to release it in that collection. And so, so now I'm kind of on the next step, which is finally doing my own stuff. It must feel great to be able to put all this together yourself though. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely feeling a lot more capable and, uh, every little thing that I do makes me feel more, more concrete in that. And it's more enjoyable. That's my dream is to be able to put together music myself and remove other people from the equation. (laughs) (laughs) It's got its upsides for sure. Yeah. So survival guy, do you perform live? Um, I do. Although the last show I played was in 2019. Ah. Um, I, at that point I had decided that I needed to stop playing shows for a little while because I needed to start focusing more on writing and also at the same time, my main keyboard is broken. (laughs) So the keyboard that I was using to play, it had uh, multiple issues and I had already tried to get them fixed and they were even worse off than before. (laughs) So, um, so I bought a new keyboard and, um, I haven't programmed it yet. And that I think I need to basically redo. Well, I mean, obviously first COVID, which which stunted not only live playing but songwriting as well for me like i just was in a complete like rut for all, pretty much all of 2020 talk about i was going to ask if you got affected by covid what kind of rut how did it affect your songwriting it affected i i guess i am kind of fortunate that i wasn't playing tons of shows and touring and doing all this stuff. My, my main goal at the time was to write, you know, but 
it just, I think just the whole situation affected me emotionally more than anything in, in a way that made me feel like not being creative. And it felt like such a heavy burden almost to, to try to create during that time. And I mean, I, I, I wish that it wasn't like that because I feel like I wasted the whole year, you know, but eventually I got out of it. Luckily the, the change, the year, the change in years better and felt like, okay, it's time to not be depressed. <laughs> time to, to actually do something. And I started having ideas about how to restructure my Patreon. So it was more like a more like a label and how, yeah, I should make a collection of these covers that I've been doing. I mean, luckily I was doing the covers still and I had my Patreon to keep me going, but I wasn't songwriting. I wasn't having inspiration or really feeling like songwriting at all. I was kind of just hanging out with patrons and and maintaining what I had going on there. So in 2021 was when I was like, you know, I felt like, okay, I'm sitting on all these covers. I should start to improve myself. I should use this Patreon as a way to become a better musician and as a way to sort of prove to myself that I can do this. You know, I, I can record a song and release it and, and not, it doesn't have to be perfect. And I don't have to have a real label. I can have my Patreon as my label. I can do all this. I can upload the songs. I can, you know, get everything done. And there's really no reason not to. So thankfully, I I had that to kind of get me out of that rut. Yeah, that's great. And that's one good thing about the modern age is there's a software for everything and you could just do everything yourself. Yeah. (laughs) How is the Patreon for you? Are you able to survive off of it? Do Do you do other stuff? I mean, it's meager as far as salaries go, but I, I consider it a salary. Yeah. Wow. It's definitely a, a good, um, like I, I, it's, it's consistent. It's pretty consistent, you know, like patrons come and go, but as far as like comparing it to the rest of my music career, it is so consistent, which is so amazing as a musician. And, um, and then adding, uh, Twitch recently, you know, within the last few months, um, that's another fun, unexpected income source as well. I mean, I've, I've got various income, like little income sources because I am an independent musician, you know, so there's just things here and there. So you said you're working on a new LP. Let's talk about that. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's slow going <laughs> because I have lots of uh, internal blocks and but uh it is it is moving forward and like that's the one thing that's that's kind of bad about my patreon is that i've been intending to write an album and release an album for you know since the patreon started so it's like a marker that i have not done it yet so that's that's one downside that's like the one downside to my patreon is that it it reminds me that all these lovely amazing and patient patrons are just there and they're waiting and they're finally getting one new song released uh, in April. But I have bits and pieces of a bunch of songs. So 
mainly it's I need to put them all together and I am doing it gradually and I'm demoing songs and I'm posting pieces of those songs on my Patreon for my patrons so they they can at least see that I am doing stuff. It's just, uh, I've never been a fast songwriter and now I'm the only songwriter, you know? <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, that's how, that's how it's going. But I do have at this point today, I have four songs completely written and one that's like 90%. And then I have a, a bunch of a bunch of pieces. So it's it's coming together. That's great. Yeah. And you have the patrons to keep you accountable. If it was just me writing the songs and I had no accountability, I'd, I don't know, I'd take 10 years. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping it doesn't come to that, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, I mentioned this in the beginning, but you were also guest vocals on Lovely Residence with Audio Karate. And I love the song and I love that you're on the whole song. Yeah, um, they asked me to, so they sent me the song and the lyrics, and they had never had a guest vocalist on any songs, and and I have done some guest vocals in the past, so I told them, well, how about I just record some stuff, and I'll just record a ton. Like this is I, I've done I've done guest spots with MXPX a number of times. Oh, nice. And what I've done with them and what they, what they asked me to do was to just do whatever came to mind, like do everything, you know, every idea for the whole song. And then they, when they're editing, they will pick and choose. And I make sure not to be, you know, sad if they don't <laughs> use the entire <laughs> thing. Um, so that's what I, suggested to audio karate and so we did that and they they used most of it they used they had i was kind of surprised with how i mean i'm i'm happy about it but i was like oh wow they have me really singing a lot on this it's great it is it's a great song has there been a situation where you did a lot of ideas and something got cut and you were like oh man no not really because i from the beginning i uh, you know doing any guest spots i tried to i try to have an attitude of you know, that I'm, I'm glad to just be on it, even if it's just, even if it ends up just being a little piece. And when I'm recording the, you know, my ideas, I'm, I'm going overboard. Like I, I certainly wouldn't expect them to use every single thing that I send. So I just try to keep an open mind about, about how they might edit it. I'm trying to remember there was one thing I did. Oh, I know it was the Travis Hayes record. I have a friend in in San Francisco who he does like a sort of like a alt country almost type thing and like he was doing singer songwriter acoustic stuff and he he's a friend of mine so I was singing with him and just helping him doing harmonies and backups and doing it live and then he asked me to do more and I was doing more for him and then I did his record with him and he worked with a producer he did a full length and um, I sang on every song. And then when I heard the the final, it sounded great, but I my vocals were super low. <laughs> <laughs> so I was kind of like, oh man. <laughs> yeah. Oh well. Like, I mean, it's fine. It's it's his record and it, it sounds good, but I was kind of like, oh. <laughs> you ended up uh moving from California to San Antonio, Texas, yes? Yes, I did. How? Why? Tell us. 
Um, well, uh, it was because of my husband's job. Oh, okay. Um, What's he do? Uh, he was running music venues out in California and then got hired to run one out here in San Antonio. And at the time, Survival Guide was already a one piece. So, and I, I, whatever I do in life, um, for the last, since college, since before college has been whatever I need to do to be able to also do music. So if I had been, you know, in a band, I would have been much more resistant to leaving my band. I don't know if I would have done that. If Jason had still been in the band, I might have not been into that idea, but I was pretty much free to move wherever. And, um, I was definitely sad to leave California with all of my, you know, friends and family and California itself, like the weather in Northern California, I was very used to it. Uh, but I also, there was definitely a part of me that felt like I wanted to experience living somewhere else. Cause I had lived in California my whole life. How have you adjusted to San Antonio? Do you like it? I do like it. I have not, I, I can't fully accept the summer heat. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> because it's, it gets really hot and humid here. So that I don't, I don't know if I'll, I don't know if I'll be able to ever be excited about summer rolling around, but I do really like the pace here. It's almost more, it's like between Northern California time and Island time. If you've, (laughs) uh, you know, if you've ever been to Hawaii or, or an Island where everything's kind of just so laid back, you know, it's like somewhere in between those two, which is, which is really nice after living in the Bay Area where you're just constantly feeling like really unstable with um, the housing and, you know, being able to afford to live. At the age I'm at now, I can't stand Northeast summer. I hate when it's really, really hot. It just, I'll take extreme cold over extreme hot. I don't like the extreme heat. Yeah. Well, I haven't really, I mean, I have never lived in extreme cold either. I was I was very spoiled living in California and especially in Northern California, a lot a lot more temperate. Have you ever seen snow? Do you know about it? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have seen it. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. It is it is pretty crazy. Yeah. I've never I've never lived in it. I've definitely driven through a lot of it and been in it, but I have not I've not had to endure a, a snowy winter. Yeah, no, well, now that I don't really have to go anywhere, it's fine. Yeah, yeah, that would be that would be the thing, having to go out in it and slide all over the place. Exactly. <laughs> okay, let's talk about what we've got coming up. We've got the new single coming out the first week of April, yes? Yes, really excited about that. Yeah, so keep an eye out for that survival guide, new single. will be on all streaming platforms and everywhere, or just the Patreon? Oh, no, it'll be everywhere. It'll be everywhere. It's called Stay Dead. Oh, I love that title. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) So we'll keep an eye out for that. Folks, by the time this airs, you'll be able to listen to it. And we've got the new record. Now, we don't have a set date for that, right? No, certainly not. (laughs) Okay. I wish. (laughs) But it's coming. And anything else coming up? Any project that we didn't mention or any potential tour date or anything like that? No, um, but... I am hoping to do a request hotline volume two. 
because I have more songs that are done and they just, they're at the, they're at the stage where I need to go back and clean them up and adjust some of the mixes, but that is in the works as well. A second, a second volume. And the second volume I think is going to be punk rock themed. Now, what kind of punk are we talking here? Are we talking like Black Flag or Blink-182? So it's going to be another collection of requests from patrons. Ah. And as you can imagine, a lot of my patrons are Tsunami Bomb fans, or at least that's where they joined me along the way. So a lot of them have requested songs that are from punk artists, and I have turned them into other things. <laughs> ah. I've taken these punk songs, although I do have a couple of songs on there that I turned punk. I think that's the way to go. I like when people do something different with a cover, because if it's just the same exact thing, then I don't know. It's like, what's the point? Yeah, I agree. Especially after I've been doing these these covers. I feel like my favorite ones are the ones where I really strayed a lot from the original well, folks, here's what we want to do. Number one, we want to check out Survival Guide, right? We got to do that. Yes. <laughs> Number two, we want to sign up for M's Patreon, right? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. We can do that. What is it, is it under your name? How do we find it? Uh, most of my handles, well, I, I might be in the process of changing this because on, on Twitch and on YouTube and on my brand new TikTok account that I just started, uh, it's Survival Guide Music. But everywhere else, it's survival guide without vowels. So it's S R V V L G D. Um, I'm I'm thinking about kind of switching that over, maybe um, because I feel like on Twitch it's actually really helped a lot to have it as survival guide music instead of the confusing bunch of consonants. <laughs> all right, so we want to check you out on Twitch for sure. Twitch is where I spend all my time. I'm going to search you out there. Yeah. Definitely come by Twitch. And um, I mean, anyone who comes by can request a song. And I've been doing, um, you know, all the way back to even some Plinky songs. So I've got a number of Tsunami Bomb and Action Design and Survival Guide on there. Well, M, we just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show. And I'm looking forward to more. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been great. There you have it, folks. Emily Whitehurst. Excellent conversation. I really like what's going on with Survival Guide. I really like their new single, Stay Dead. Looking forward to the new record from Survival Guide. And, you know, I miss Tsunami Bomb back in the day because I was in hardcore La La Land and I just, there was tons of music that I missed. So it's really great to get to talk to these artists now and discover them. And just, there's always new music coming in. I love it. You know, these conversations take on new meaning, especially now with the show being a little different. Emily was talking about how her bandmate left her band and she had to learn how to record by herself and learn how to do everything in Ableton Live by herself. And it really made me think of my current situation now because I'm getting adjusted to doing the show by myself and I'm getting into some sound engineering and mixing and finally learning that myself now. So, 
yeah, I, I could really relate to what she was talking about. And it was just a really great conversation. So thank you so much, Emily, for coming on the show. So how am I doing? Well, it's been an interesting week. I had to travel for the first time for work in quite a while. And thankfully, no airplanes because airports are just hell going to them, checking into them, being in them, sitting in them, waiting, plane cancellations. I hate it. I hate it. So I, th- this this trip, I just had to rent a car and drive all over New Jersey for two days. And uh, something interesting happened. We went to meet with a prospective client. And there's a guy there in the lobby waiting with us. And he looks so familiar. And I'm like, who is this guy? Who is this guy? So finally, we're walking in and we're walking down the hallway. And I said, hey, what's your name? And he told me. And I realized he's a guy that used to be on my team who they laid off when I joined the team. Now, I don't think it was specifically because of me, but I was like, oh, oh, right. So, you know, we just talked about everything and caught up and he was okay with me. So that's good. I'm, you know, I'm glad he didn't direct any uh, anger that he had towards me coming on the team and him not being there anymore. And, you know, that's just the way it goes. Business is business. It just comes down to dollars and cents. But traveling is stressful. I don't like being away from home, but I got it done and I got it done well and everything went relatively nicely. And you know what I really love? This is a lost art living in New York City, but number one, I love driving because I don't get to do it that often. And number two, I love getting food from a drive-in, parking in the parking lot and just sitting there and eating it. I haven't been able to do that in years and there is no drive-ins in New York City. So you know, I got my food. I sat there in the parking lot. I would listen to Howard Stern or I would listen to a podcast and it was nice. It's just, it's just a nice little thing that uh, I don't get to do very often except when I travel. So I'm back home now. Everything is great. I feel a lot better than I did last week. You know, last week when I checked in, I was just feeling really depressed and run down and laying in bed a lot and all the things that brought me joy we're not bringing me joy at that time. And I feel like I'm out of that now, getting back into a routine more. And I'm very happy about that. So listen, we've got a lot more coming up. We've got some more big, big interviews coming up. So keep an eye out for those. So just let me remind you once again, Apple podcast reviews, Spotify reviews, we've got to get over a hundred. We have to, we have to, it's my resolution for 2022. I need to get there and I need you to get me there. And listen, folks, listen, taking reviews away is not going to help the situation. Okay. Okay. We got to get over a hundred and then I'll give it a rest for a little bit. I promise. But you've got to get us there. Follow us on social media, new scene pod, email me, email me. Let us know how we're doing. New scene pod at iodinerecords.com. So we're back next week with a brand new episode and a brand new guest. And I'm looking forward to it. So thanks everybody for listening. And until next time.